What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. thing uh, about this uh, this business of uh, uh, I, I don't know whether there is such a thing as magic or hexes or spells but I would suggest this uh, for those of you who are women and children and those of you who are women and children know that you're women and children I don't have to argue with that there has nothing to do with being anti-woman either don't get your back up it's nothing to do with that I can see your your hackles rising out there it's a funny thing. You know, I can say, I can, I can speak, Walt, for 15 straight nights, anti-men stuff here, and I get not one single angry letter, one suggestion that women have even a jot, a jot of responsibility in this world's idiocy, and I am deluged up to my knees. What is this? Hugh Rot, let's play a song here or something. Let's, let's go, gang. George. All right, let's go, gang. Got eyes of blue. I never cared for eyes of blue, but she's got eyes of blue. And that's my weakness. Now, ricka ticka ticka she's got a dimpled knees. I never cared for dimpled knees, but she's got dimpled knees. And that's my weakness now. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, me. Oh, me, oh, me, oh, me. Oh, I should be good, I could be good, but she, oh, she, 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 she likes to bill and coo, whoopee, I never liked to bill and coo, but she, wowie, she likes to bill and coo, and that's my weakness now, oh boy, we swing, she, eyes of blue, I never cared for eyes of blue, but she's got eyes of blue, and that's my weakness now, what the, she's got crossed eyes, I never cared for crossed Eyes, but she's got a cross of eye, and that's my weakness now. Ba 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 ba, wah 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 wah, woo hoo hoo. 
cold, I could be good, I should be good, but she quack quack my back. She likes the villain cool. I never cared to villain cool, but ho ho, what the Oh, listen to this change. She talks baby talk. I never cared for baby talk, but she talks baby talk and has my weakness now. She likes engagement rings. I never liked engagement rings, but she likes engagement rings. That's my weakness now. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, 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 yes. We're heading for the Parsons store, I guess. Quack, 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 quack. She likes the family. I never cared for families, but she likes the families. And that's my weakness. All together now, 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 Very exciting. You bums. Boy, oh boy. And you'd pay seventeen fifty for some crummy musical to get even worse stuff than that. Oh boy, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it is really. I'm I'm really bugged, you know. It's uh, uh I just came from the uh, horse show there at Madison Square Garden. I went down there, you know, Walt. I've never seen a horse show. Whew. Boy, I'm all winded going over them jumps. Let me tell you, that's really a wild scene. I mean, those people falling down, hitting themselves on the wall there and yelling and hollering, fist fights breaking out in the stands. You know, you never see dowagers belting it right from a bottle. It's a fantastic evening over there. It's wild. <laughs> and them horses, woo. You know, speaking of... Uh, uh, I'm I, uh, very irritated. I had to leave right in the middle of the gigantic international jump there. And uh, it was very exciting. Oh. So, you know, uh, as, long as, as long as we're here, though, we might as well face the, the facts that that uh, many things have been happening. And man and his involvement with animals. You know, I'm continually reminded of man and his involvement with animals. Tonight, they're watching the horses running around. It's hard to know whether you're cheering the horses or the people riding on them. And, and yet, strangely enough, most people will bet on the horses, generally. Uh, the suspicion, of course, being that animals are, are guileless. They have no such thing as guilt. Well, that, I suppose, is because you're not another animal. And you're not getting kicked in the head by the by the neighboring Kodiak bear, you know. So you, you, you figure, you know, this is one of the great things that, that, that the only animal that has what we call sin is man, because man, according to some philosophers, has invented sin. You know, uh, it's, <laughs> so naturally he's the only. But yet, I would like to refer you, you animal lovers, to this interesting little news note that came here from L.A. Of course, uh, I will admit that Los Angeles, uh, it is true, that any kind of nuttiness can happen in L.A., and you can't count it as real stuff, uh, literally. But, but here, here is a note from L.A. Uh, how do you handle mice which have become addicted to marijuana? Pot. Well, <laughs> leave it to L.A. <laughs> they got a bunch of pothead mice running around in the city jail there in the, in the slam. <laughs> that is the problem facing clerks in the basement of the Hall of Justice where about 8 million mice ran riot and have been running riot all night for weeks on end amid several hundred pounds of pot, marijuana, and various assorted confiscated narcotics. The mice are now all hung up. They've got monkeys on their back as big as gorillas. And, well, it's true, they are now addicts, a clerk declared. 
and it's no kidding around. He says, after they're cavorting, they stagger to their nest higher than a kite. They scream and yell and fist fight all night long and lay there and dream fantastic dreams, leaving the floor littered with roaches all over the place. It's just a terrible thing. Efforts to mouse-proof the closely guarded room have failed. The mice, like true potheads, can get through anything. They are fighting their way through in spite of steel doors. The mice used to go out for the weed only at night. But now they're making the scene during the day. They're making it the morning. They're making it the afternoon. They're making it late in the evening. They're making it all, all night long, all day long. They've gone down the drain. Oh, boy. They're, they're thinking of putting this stuff in special steel-lined cases, mice-proof cases, until they kick it. Well, <laughs> I just wanted you to know, you know, an animal, given the choice to sin, he hasn't thought of it. That's the only thing. They're slow, and most animals are slow, you know. They fool around. They think if they have a beach ball on their nose like a seal, they've, they've discovered, the, 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 you know, the end. Well, let me tell you, boy... These mice are not, you know, don't, don't laugh. I mean, what are you going to say now? Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to have the vice squad down there clubbing the mice, you know, and yelling and hollering, and a whole bunch of potheads screaming and yelling around? Well, you know, truth. You know? <laughs> I think that as you go higher up the scale of evolution, more and more you begin to discover what is possible. Literally. No, no, that's true. The, the, the lower down the scale, you can take, you can take the, the human animal way down the scale, and, uh, and uh, the anthropologists are always intrigued by this, this aspect of us. Way down the scale, you've got a whole scale of, of, of animals, man, you know, different kinds. It's all different classifications, categories, cranium uh, capacities, different kinds of jaw lines, the whole scene. Until finally, you go way up and down the scale, and way at the lowest bottom of the scale, someplace where there's a very primeval, ancient, primitive tribe, these guys have hardly discovered any sin. They just sort of wander around and moo. Once in a while, you know, the rain comes, ooh, gave up, my And they, yeah, like, up, and, and about the biggest sin they can think of is to hit somebody with a rock. And they walk around and sort of shove each other and fall down. And that's about it. Well, as you go higher up the scale, you get more and more refined, and you begin to see the great panoply that life offers. Now, to those of you out there in, in, in Queens who have not discovered what is available, we, we have here a little booklet that we'd like to send you on possibility. Just possible. Send your name and address to Whoopi in care of... Oh, yeah. Stop it. I don't want to lead anybody down a terrible pathway. But just, I just thought you ought to know that the, that the mice are not so scot-free. And, you know, speaking of mice, as long as we're on that subject... One of my great traumatic experiences as a feckless youth had to do with my discovery of a mouse nest. Have you ever discovered an, a, mess, a nest of mice? Well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, these things, these things you know, you, 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 you meet your world slowly. And I think that in today's world, generally, today's world, it is so engineered that a man can grow to, to manhood, literally. A kid can grow all the way up without ever really meeting the world. He, 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 he spends all his afternoons watching movies, and then when he gets a little older, he spends his afternoons watching Geraldine Page, and then he gets a little bit older, and he spends his afternoons reading books, and then he spends his afternoons drinking Manhattans, and then finally he falls over and he's dead. And he's never, he's never really seen anything. It's all been precarious, you know? Seriously. It's very hard. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm this kid one time, see, and we had down in the basement... And that's something that I think 
that, that is going to be sorely missed in, in, the, uh, in the future history of mankind is the basement of man. Places where you can really see that scary, dark, sort of lurking face of the abyss. Oh, yes, yes. All these houses, the houses today, Eddie, are too well lit. And there's nothing that scares the, you know, scares the daylights out of you, like looking down the basement stairs and just blackness down there. You know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and, and you know, you look down there, and, oh, boy, you know, and you hear things squeak and things squish down there and all that. Well, you believe me, when you hit the sack that night, you got something to think about, you know, right down there under the floor below you. It can be almost anything. Hell, name it. It's all, speaking of that, this is W-O-R-A-M and F-M, New Yorkie by George. Wouldn't you really rather have a Buick than any other kind of car? In 1964, the car for lovers and car lovers is the romantic new Buick Skylark. You'll love how it gets you away from the crowd in a hurry. This year, you can practically custom make your own Skylark with a choice of three new engines. One gas miserly V6 and two v And there's a new super turbine 300 transmission. It's a very personal car for very particular you people. You and two and a half million And above others. all, it's a Buick. Here we go now, gang. Oh, so wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? A Buick? A Buick? Wouldn't you really rather have a Buick than that rotten thing you got? This Man, that's some of my Buicks. Well, that's a very good commercial. I don't know what you're mad about. Let's see, we have the WOR Xmas Fund. And uh, if you would like to throw in a couple of dollars in the pot, this is a worthy enterprise. We want to give Mr. Leader a real Christmas this year. Send your name and address to Box 710, a couple of bucks, Times Square Station, New York, and we'll really have a time. All right. Now let's, let's, uh, let's get back to uh, our problems here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happened, though, with that basement scene, boy. For those of you... Uh, who don't know what a basement is, uh, it's hard to explain it to you, uh, really. It's, it's like there's a big hole under your house. And uh, it's got old tires and stuff hanging in it. And it's very dark. And there's one 10-watt light bulb that hangs over in one corner. And it's a yellow light bulb. And it casts a sickly, flickering, pale glow on the furnace. Now, the furnace is... Well, I have to explain to you what a furnace is now. A furnace is a great big thing that clanks. And uh, it sits over there, and it has big tentacles, arms, reaching up into the ceiling. And the furnace once in a while when you're down over And then occasionally you can hear your old man down there hitting the furnace and yanking that big thing, you know, that makes the clinkers fall down to the bottom or makes them get stuck in the grate, which is more likely what happens. Oh, for God's sake, you let it go out! Well, that's what... You see, there's a lot of very scary things in the basement. My father fought the furnace from the time I was about two years old until, well, you know, until the last days of his life. He fought furnaces. It was like Ahab and the whale. That's <laughs> true, right? <laughs> and, and I can remember, I can remember one, one, one of his most famous cries. My old man tearing down at, at about, oh, it was always a terrible time. Like we'd get home from the show, you see. And we'd come home. And my mother would be very quiet in the, in the kitchen. we come in, and it's in the wintertime, see, and the snow boy is hanging out of the roof and all the way down. We've burrowed our way all the way in from the Orpheum Theater, you know, where we saw Merle Oberon. And now, now we're back home, and boy, I'll tell you, it is colder than a witch's... Well, it's cold. 
it is really cold in the house. It, it, you come in, the door opens, and it's colder in the house than it is outside because the wind, no, the wind blows the cold air away outside, you know, just keeps moving. Whereas in the house, it's holding it, one big ice block, you know, it's holding you. Woo! You come in the house, you know, and, 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 and there's a deadly, long, pregnant silence, and my mother says, it's very cold. Oh, man, it's really boring. Oh, boy. He's really mad. And he, he puts his collar up. You see him standing by the kitchen table putting his collar. He pulls his hat down over his eyes. And then, boom, he opens the door and he goes down in the basement. You hear him running down. And you, he hits the second landing. And you hear, the damn thing, I'm going to fix it this time. Boom, and he hits his head against that beam. And my mother says, quick, get in the bed, quick. And we're running in the bed, and you can swear. Ah, well, now you see, the basement, as I said, had awful connotations. It just had terrible connotations. And, and so, <laughs> and like anything that scares you, it is illicit. You know, it lures you down there, too. You can't help, you can't help it, you know, by going down there. And so one day, I am down in the basement. We had this uh, this coal bin. You know, I got a mental block about coal bins. Ever since the <laughs> ever since the time Mr. Bruner went down the chute, and <laughs> you want to hear about that one? That was fantastic. Bruner came in, and they were putting coal down in his basement. The relief had sent some coal, and they're putting the coal down in Bruner's basement. And Bruner, being very playful with a gigantic snootful. The guys were up in the kitchen having a cup of coffee, like they always gave the coal men, you know. Bruner sees the thing, and he slides right down into it, into the, into the pile of coal. And then he's, oh, you don't want to hear the rest of that story. And the guys got mad, and he's down in the coal. They had to shovel him out, the whole. <laughs> well, anyway, now, see, here's a coal bin. You got it. You got to picture this. Now, we had this little pile of coal that we always tried to eke out over the winter. And, uh, yes, we used one ton of coal for over three years once. In our house. Well, we did it by, well, no, no, I, I see, my father had discovered some kind of a perpetual motion scheme that involved saning the coal out. I don't know what we did. We, we, would, we would sift the ashes, sift them into a big box, and then put them right back in the furnace again and burn them over again. Sift them over again. We kept that up for three years till I got a job. We got some coal then. But <laughs> I remember the time we got the new coal, and my father spent the whole afternoon down in the basement shining it. But <laughs> you know what? Well, you know, oh, no, they knew about oil there, but oil was for, you know, rich people or something. And so we had down in the basement there this coal bin. And around this pile of coal, there was all this junk that was, you know, stored, just junk. Anytime you, 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 you there was no place to throw something and something you didn't want out on the floor there, you threw it in the coal bin. And so there were 9,000 things in there, old fielders' mitts and bicycle tires and stuff. And there was a great big, tremendous box full of old newspapers and and why we say them I don't know there was always a rumor around that if we ever really needed them if we ever really ran out of coal we could run the house on newspapers for a while which was done by the way and so so one one Saturday afternoon I am down there looking at the old jokes which in the Midwest is what they call the funnies they rarely refer to them as the funnies they were called the jokes I'm looking at the jokes ma you know that kind of scene so I'm down there looking at old cotton jammer kids, you know, and other cultural projects of our time, and I'm going through through this stuff, you know, and I'm down there and hollering my kid brothers down. And we're pulling these things out, the papers, you see. And I pull a paper out, and all of a sudden, there it is. There is a little hollowed-out place 
where these mice have hollowed out the place, you see. <laughs> it's a nest. And they have hollowed it out, and there's all kinds of little paper all scribbled on it. And in that nest, there was about seven little tiny mice. They were about the size of your thumb there, little, little dinky mice, you know, little tiny mice. So there they were. There were seven of them. I don't know where the big mouse was, the mom, mama mouse, or the father mouse. They were gone. There were just a bunch of little mice there. And my kid, what, what, what are they? Hey, At first we thought they were worms, big worms or something. So we were looking down there. You know, we, got the, we got the light on in the coal bin. We're looking, and they're mice. Well, if there was one thing around, my, around the house that would send my mother out of her skull, it was a mouse. Whenever you saw a mouse, she would scream. Literally, it was just like in the funny papers. I guess she was influenced by the funny papers. I don't know. I don't know what there is to be scared about with mice, but every time she would hear a mouse, you'd hear one behind the ice, eh, eh, you know, and she, ah, boom, hit her head up against the closet, bang, screaming. So there was a, a one thing we had. Whenever there was a mouse, we had to fight it. We had to fight the mice. And we had to chase him. We had to run around and follow him until finally he went down the register, which is where all the mice went. <laughs> yeah, you know, they had these these things on the floor, like a grill. He would go down in that. I don't know what he did down there, but he went down there. And so there must have been a thousand of them went down there one time or another. So we had a, it was a standing order, fight the mice. Well, here we were. There were seven little mice, little tiny mice. They were real little things. You know, they were sort of curled up little things, and they were... They were just sort of, and they just had gotten fur. That fur, you know, they were really cute. They were really, really soft little things, and they were squeaking there. When we looked at these mice, and my kid brother says, Mice? He says, Yeah, seven of them. Yeah, one, two, three, seven of them. It's real quiet down in the basement somehow. You feel real illicit and sneaky and rotten. And he says, Wait, I'll get a jar. And he runs over and he gets a jar, you know, one of these ball jars that you can stuff with. And he brings a jar back and screws it. He says, wait here. And one by one, he's reaching down, and I'm reaching down. We're pulling them out, you know, one by one, plink into the jar. See, and then we, he says, well, they got to have a nest. Yeah, got to have a nest. So he's taking all the little paper and he's scribbling it all up. And we put it in the, in, into the jar, you know, whole pile of things like that. And so then we had seven little mice in the jar. We sat there and looked at them. Just hold them up to the light. Pull them up. Here, give me one. Put them in his hand. You know, the little thing squeaks, it sort of squibbles around and walks around a little bit. It's got a little tail. A little tiny thing, you know. They really feel funny. They're really, really, you know, they tickle sort of. They look, around, look around, little tiny eyes and squeak. And they are, they are almost, a, well, it's, they're almost silver, you know. Very small mice are almost silver. They're, they're really, and you can see their skin in between their, their tiny fur. They're pink. You wouldn't believe it, but they're pink. <laughs> a little tiny fur. It's going... So pull them out and say, oh, boy, look at this one, a little bit bigger. So we're, we're, we're fooling around maybe, oh, about a half an hour with the mice. And all of a sudden, one of us says, what are we going to do with them? Put them back. Long pregnant pause. No. They're squeaking. Let's uh, hide them. Well, we did. We hid the mice up on top, you know, where the top of the, the uh, concrete blocks go and, the, the you know, the, the beams go in and all that. There's all kinds of little places where you can stick jars of nails and cans of stuff. We stuck the mice up there. And about an hour later, we started to worry about them. What about the mice? You know, you can't see. So we go up and put them down looking. <laughs> They're fine. They're still in there, see? So Randy says, maybe we better take them upstairs where it's warm. It was always cold in the basement. <laughs> Take them upstairs where it's warm. 
Well, that was the beginning of the downfall. You see, I think that most, most of us get finally tripped up by our, own, uh, by our own humanity. I really do. I think we finally get our teeth kicked in eventually by becoming idealists. And so Randall says, bring them up. Let's, let's hide them under the bed. Well, you see, under the bed, we had at least 7,000 pounds of junk that was hardly ever investigated. You know, oh, just a big tangle of wires. I had old crystal sets and radios and games and all kinds of footballs and softballs and everything other. So we cleared away a pile of junk, and we stuck it over back by the wall with a jar. And that was our little bunch of mice. And so that night, we eat supper, and Randy says, well, what do I have? Mice eat cheese. That's what, they, you know, we were, we were brought up on Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, and that. mice eat cheese. Little realizing, of course, we had mice about the size of, you know, thumbnails, and they are not going to knock down a chunk of cheese. So we go in there, we put a piece of cheese in there, and we're all quick in the darkness, we put the top back and stick it in there. They're squeaking a little bit, the mice. And then Randy, about, about 8 o'clock that night, begins to have conscience pangs. He says, you know, they're not eating the cheese. And we're looking with the flashlight. No, they're not eating the cheese. Not eating the cheese. See, we're in our room all by ourselves now, both of us looking at the at the mice. They're not eating the cheese. And out, out there, you know, you can hear the radio going. My father crinkling the papers and arguing with my mother. And you know, the whole scene is going. You know, life is going on, yelling and hollering. And we're just they're not eating the cheese. They don't eat the cheese. They're, they're, they're going to get hungry. And then, being the oldest one, I had my idea, the terrible idea. He says, "Yes, but you see, the reason they're not eating is that they're not with their mother and father." And Randy says, mother and father. I say, yeah, they've got a mother and father. They must have. They're little, you know. And suddenly he began to feel terrible. See, I was pretty big and tough. He says, they, they give me their mother and father. I says, they have a mother and father. Sure, mice don't just grow like carrots. They have a mother and father or something, you know. The big mice, you know, the ones we get uh, caught there behind the refrigerator and stuff. The big ones. They, 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 mother and father. They got a mother and father. I said, yeah, they got a mother and father. Well, then there, then, gee, oh boy, what a shot. What a shot in the head now. We got terrible, terrible conscience going. I said, but you can't take them down. You see, kids and people in general are filled with nine million kinds of superstitions. I said, where I got it, I don't know. I said, well, you see, if you take them back now, the mother and father won't have anything to do with them because the people have had them. You see, they will smell people on them, and they won't have anything to do with them. They'll get scared and will probably kill them. What are we going to do? Mother and father, they come and the, and the mice are sort of crawling around. These seven little tiny mice, you know, looking out of the jar and squeaking. And, you know, we got the holes in the top so they could read, and they're looking out at us. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know. Don't bother me. You wanted to take them out. You took the first one out. And he says, no, I, I said, you're bigger. I said, well, you took the first one out. What are you doing? That's one thing that big brothers always can do with little brothers. They can all yell them down. You know, hey, I took the first one out. You started it. What am I going to do now? Now I got the mice. Now you're crying. Now if, you, if you open your mouth, I'll belt you. Shut up. <laughs> that routine. Oh, boy. You don't want to hear the rest of the story of the mice, do you really? Well, we're standing in the, in the, you know, sort of half under the bed is where we are, you know, and there's a fielder's mitt under me and all that, baseball bats and stuff, and, and Randy is on the other side of the bed, and he's sort of crying and real unhappy and all that. Kids can't lie, you know? So I says, well, let's go out in the, let's go out in the living room, we'll think about it or something. Now, just hide him away there, I'll think about it. 
Well, of course, he's immediately willing to take that, you know, immediately. He says, oh, okay, okay. So we jump up and we go out and we get in the living room. We're not there 13 milliseconds. And my mother looks at Randy and says, what's the matter? You've been crying. Now, what's the matter with you? What are you doing? Has he been hitting you again? Oh, here we go. I said, no, I haven't been hitting him. And he, then he starts, you know, the, she says, well, what's the matter with you? Now, come on now. Now, what, what are you crying about? Now, what were you doing in the bedroom? Now, what's the matter? She says, well, what, what's, come on now. I won't get mad now. It's all right. It's all right. My old man has given me that luck, you know, that I belted him again. And he's given me the luck. Now, now here, now, now. Did, did Jeannie do anything again? And, you know, me. He just keeps, she's, well, all right now. Come on, now, easy now. Now, just tell me what the trouble is. It's the mice. What? There's a long pregnant pause. Mice. Mice, mice, where, where, where's the mouse? And she jumps up, you know, Randall falls down and hits his head on the ottoman, you know. Where's, where's the mouse, mouse? And then finally it settles down, drifting into the, into, into position. She says, where's the mouse? Under the bed. Mice under the bed, where, where? My old man rushes out and grabs the broom, you know, immediately he's ready to fight. He loves the, you know, where, 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 where? Give me the broom, quick. In we go, you know. And, and the kid, and now he's really crying. He can imagine my father hitting him with this broom, you know, these mice, seven little mice. And finally, he's all right, all right, go, out of the way now. All right, stand back now, close the door. Here, Jeannie, you stand over by the closet, and if he comes that way, kick him. And I'll stand over here. And Randall's, no, no, they're in the jar, they're in the jar. No, don't, don't hit him, no, no. Finally, he gave up completely, screaming and yelling and hollering. And the old man says, what do you mean they're in a jar? They're in a jar. He reaches under there and he's scrabbling around. What do you mean in a jar? What do you mean? What do you mean? What, what, what jar? And there they were. A jar of mice. My father, the great mouse killer, confronted with seven tiny mice who were in a jar, who didn't even have a chance to run. Oh, boy. He's a real mouse killer, you know. He takes the jar of mice. Where did you get these? I'll tell you, Dad, downstairs in the coal bin, we were looking at the jokes there, and there's a bunch of mice there. They must have a nest. And there we stood. My mother standing on a chair. <laughs> my kid brother over by the closet crying. Me standing, and my father, the great mouse killer, with a, with a handful of his enemies looking at him. I'll put him back in the basement. Where did you get them? In the coal bin, huh? In the papers? Is that where they've been hiding? Yeah. So he goes down, and you hear him down there, and I come down with him. He takes the jar, and he dumps them back in the paper. <laughs> Seven mice. <laughs> and there's that little nest, you know? And he puts the paper down there. Seven mice. And then he lays the papers. He says, now, where were the papers? The paper? How were the papers? Show me how the papers were. So I put the papers back. He said, now that's all. There was nothing on the top. I said, well, yeah, there were those overshoes on top. All right, put the overshoes on top there. And he walked away and he looked at that thing. And you could hear these mice, seven mice. Now they're back in there. You know. In the old days, that would have made my old man go out of his skull. He'd have grabbed his BB gun. He'd have grabbed his fly swatter. He'd have been out there with the flit gun, the whole scene. You know. He says, now turn out the lights now. Leave them, leave them get back. He says, their mother and father will come. Now turn out the lights. Turn out the lights. 
we go back up the stairs. I am ahead. My old man is turning out the lights as he goes, you know. Clunk, he hits his head. We get up to the second landing. We get up into the kitchen. The kid brother now has forgotten about it entirely. You know, he's eating fudge or something. He's over there fooling around by the sink. We get up there. My mother is getting down off the chair. She says, did you put him away? She took one look at those mice and turned green. One look at those mice, because if, apparently if big mice scare women, little mice even scare them worse. I don't know what, what the relationship is here, but, but she was really scared. She said, where'd you, where'd you put them? Where'd you, where'd you put them? She was going to make sure she never went near there, you know? Where'd you put them? He says, they're in the coal bin, back there in the box where the, where the papers are. Okay. And I could just see the old man, you know, it was like he was given into his enemy, his worst enemy. He's given into the mice. All my life I knew him as a mouse fighter. And now he's given into those crummy, rotten mice. We're sitting now down around the table and the radio's playing and finally we're getting ready to go to bed. And the old man says, well... He says, what am I supposed to do now? Am I supposed to wait till they grow up before I hit them? What? And my mother says, well, they were very little. They were very little. I don't, I don't like, ordinarily, I don't like mice, but they were very little. The old man says, okay. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll just leave them down there. He says, now, now, you kids, stay out of the coal bin. Just leave them because their mother and father will come. And my kid brother now is absolutely uh, out of his skull with happiness. He's been left off the hook. He's got a big grin, you know. Their mother and father, did you see their mother and father down there? Did you see their mother and father down there? No, no. We turn the light out, they'll come. And so we go to bed. And two weeks later, we're sitting around the dinner table eating. This always happened at 6 o'clock, 6.30, something like that. The supper table, we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, out from underneath the door that leads to the basement, this gray figure goes... You know how they go? They run right along the kitchen. Camp. My mother says, A mouse! A mouse! My old man, oh, quick, quick, get in the room. Close the door. Oh, 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 give me the door. Quick, close the room. Hey, Jeannie, get over there. Oh, 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 here we go. Bloom, he knocks over the red cabbage. Give me a, oh, oh, here he goes. There he goes. Hey, oh, he's under the, oh, he's under the refrigerator. Damn it. All right. All right, now, here, you stand over there. He's under the refrigerator now. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to stick him. All of a sudden, my kid brother's crying. It's the mommy and daddy The old man is standing there with his broom, held it ready. My mother is up on top of the chandeliers, hanging there. I am waiting. I am waiting by the door, ready to kick. And we hear behind the icebox, <coughs> this mouse. And the kid brother, it's their mommy and daddy. Their mommy and daddy. All together, gang. You don't want to hear any more terrible mouse stories, do you? <laughs> I don't know. I could tell you mouse stories after mouse stories. Because we, we had them out there. I don't know whether they have them. Do they even have them in New York? <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you. You think you've seen rats? <clears throat> I hate to tell you this story. I, I might as well tell it to you, though. I think I told this on the air one time. But I... I uh, because this is the kind of thing you don't just like to tell people, you know, just offhand. But in the... <clears throat> I suppose you're aware, no doubt most people are, that in the big heavy industries, one of the real problems is the rat. Now, you know, we have this problem here in New York, of course, obviously. But in the heavy industries, it, it, it assumes a very different proportion. 
First of all, in most big industries, the rat has no real natural enemy. Here, there are plenty of natural enemies. There are a lot of dogs running around, you know, and there are a lot of, a lot of guys, you know, that hit them and stuff. You know, there's a lot of problems for a rat and, and when he's just out in the world. But inside industry, it's a very different proposition. And especially big industry where guys bring lunches and apple cores and all kinds of stuff. And there are millions of places to hide. Well, let me tell you, one day, I'm, work, I'm working in the steel mill. Now, I'll tell you about the steel mill. Now, there's, there's hardly any way to describe to a person who, who has never worked in that, that kind of industry. There's just no way to describe it. And uh, a great percentage of American workers work in the medium and light industry. But when you work in one of the basic heavy industries like steel, iron, uh, it's a very, very different proposition. It is very primeval to begin with. It's, it's, it's so primal, Eddie, that, that you are probably next to the guy who goes out and fights whales with his bare hands or grows wheat on the Kansas wheat fields with his bare hands. You are probably n next to nature after him. You really are. And, and the, it's, it's just an unbelievable scene. Well, they have in, the, in, in most steel mills, well, all steel mills that I've ever known, they have what they call the scrap yards. Well, now, the scrap yards consist of exactly that. You know, a good per, a percentage of, of steel is made from scrap iron. As you remember, during the war, collecting all the scrap. Well, one of the, one of the ingredients, one of the necessary ingredients, by the way, to making steel is scrap. This is scrap steel and scrap iron, uh, metal that has been used before. This is a necessary ingredient to making new steel. Of course, you all know that anyway, so I'm just telling you this. But So you have in steel mills the scrap yards. Now, the scrap yards are, are just incredible. They're like, like a mountain range. And it's really a mountain range in, on a small scale. You may have a scrap yard that may be a half a mile long, two may, sometimes as long as two miles long. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a range of mountains that just go along there, you know. And it's scrap iron, millions and millions of tons of scrap steel, old car bodies all squashed together, you know, Ed, and all that stuff that you, you see them squashing together over here in the Jersey junkyards. Well, that's the way the scrap, the scrap is bought from these people, and it's finally brought in on ships and loaded up and laid on these great, great mountain ranges. Well, you can see, of course that the way metal is, scrap metal, that there's millions of holes. It's just like burrows, you know. It isn't a solid thing like, uh, like coal would almost be, you know. It's, it's just it's got all kinds of holes in it. And so in the scrap heap, in the scrap yard, there usually exists in most steel mills a tremendous colony of man-eating, people-eating, dog-eating, cat-eating, devouring earth-mother rats. You never saw anything like it. Well, the reason this is, the, is true, of course, is for one thing, perfect cover. For another thing, they get an endless supply of food because working out around the scrapyards are thousands of guys who have lunches. They drop, they drop uh, sandwiches. They drop, uh, oh, apple cores. They drop this. So the rats really live well. And another thing, too, the scrapyards are usually right next to the water. You see, so they've got everything going for them. Here's the water right over here, the lake. They, they eat fish, they eat dead things. Everything, everything is there. So these babies really get to be something. Well, right down at the end of the tin mill, there was a giant scrapyard. 
and I worked in the tin mill, and one of my jobs, oh boy, you talk about rats, one of my jobs in the office one day, we, we, we were really getting overrun with rats. It was wild. I would open up a, a, yeah, I would open up a file cabinet. You know, you guys who work in offices don't know about another kind of office worker. This is an office worker who works out on the firing line, <clears throat> who literally does office work, but does office work at the front. You know, it's like a front-line clerk in the Army who is sitting there with his typewriter. You know, he's right in the front line, and he's typing out casualty reports. He hears, boom, choke. He sees a head fly past him. He says, Charles L. Brown, PVT, number 6S9. Machine guns going over him. Well, now, he's a typist, and he's working in a very different area than you're working in, but you can, you can say he's a clerk. Well, now that's the kind of office I was in. It was right in the middle of the scrap heap, scrap yards, tin mill sorting, screaming, yelling cranes going over. And every time I would open, if I left it closed, my, say maybe 10 or 5, maybe 15 minutes, I would open one of my file cabinets. <laughs> this rat would jump out, big red eyes. He'd run over the floor and bloop, hit his head against the wall, run up and down and bloop, out the window. Oh, boy. Oh. Well, after a while, Snyder says, Shepard, set the traps, get out the pison. And so my job for about two, three, maybe four days was to poison the rats. And every morning I would come in, there'd be about 19 rats in various stages of, of dead, dying, and decay. It was a terrible story. I'm just telling you, you know, when you run into this. So one day, old Shep is walking down towards the end of the tin mill dock, Ed. I want to tell you this. He's walking down towards the end of the tin mill dock. And the day before, a very interesting thing had happened. Almost all the mills have large cats that they use. Cats hang around there, you know. And they're, 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 they're mill cats. They're industrial cats. They, they live in the sound of screaming overhead cranes. They live in the sound of heats being tapped. And these are cats, boy, like no, no cat that Peggy and Fitzgerald would ever have anything to do with. Ears chewed off, you know, peg legs, walking around with a patch over one eye, swearing and yelling. Boy, there were bohunk cats, there were Hungarian cats, hunky cats, a whole yelling and hollering. Well, one day, one of the big cats down at the end of the tin mill was found dismembered and spread over about 14 yards. And they're all standing there looking, what hit him? What, what got him? A tree must hit him. Well, the next day, by odd coincidence, at lunchtime, I am walking down to the end of the tin mill to get my bottle of milk. Boy, I'll tell you one thing tin mill and steel mill workers drink is milk. You drink a whole quart of it without chug-a-lug, without, without even raising your nose. At, boom, 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 you know, you drink it. So I'm going down to get my bottle of milk. And I see ahead of me a crowd of guys. You know, they're all, all around the Coke machine. A bunch of guys, a whole bunch of guys, tin mill guys. And I get up, I hear somebody, hey, look out, there he comes. Oh, look out, oh, look out. Guys are running around like mad, and they've all got sticks and brooms and stuff. And I see come out from behind one of the great big pillars a rat. So help me, God, I'll tell you, that rat was the size, I would say that's almost the size of an average full-grown dachshund. Now, it sounds like I'm making it up, but I'm telling you, it was incredible, fantastic. It was, like, it was like a big, oversized football with feet. Tremendous rat. And it was a, a strange thing when rats get to be really big. Yeah, they have a strange look about them. They get brown. They almost get like a bear or something. They lose that little grayness. And, boy, you can see teeth stick out of them like, like, like tusks. And that rat, he came waddling out. He goes, blub, 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 blub. 
and the guys chased him. Here he goes, here he goes, they're running. And that rat got over next to the Coke machine and raised up on his back legs a full two and a half feet. And he's just going, ah, ah, ah. He's looking, ah, two red eyes and those great big wide open mouths and claws. And every one of those big lunks in the steel mill just sort of drifted back. Whew. And the rat dropped down on all fours and waddled behind the Coke machine and was never seen again. Sunday at 8 o'clock on Channel 9, a runaway missile throws New York City into panic in the lost missile. A television premiere. It's followed by the Colditz story. That's your Sunday night double feature on WOR-TV, Channel 9 in New York. Now over WOR-AM and WOR-FM in New York, stay tuned for the Long John Neville Show. Interesting people, interesting conversation through the night, through the morning. It begins at midnight. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co. 